Welcome to Write Good, the podcast that helps you write good. I'm Raquel S. Benedict, the most dangerous woman in speculative fiction. Joining me today is Matty from The Pod Hand. We like folklore, and we like feminism. So why not combine them? A lot of writers do. Feminist retellings of old fairy tales are very popular right now. We have girl boss Cinderella starting her own business. Rebellious Belle teaching girls to read in Beauty and the Beast. Snow White leading an army into battle. And why not? What's wrong with updating folklore for a more enlightened era? We all like to see strong women kicking ass, don't we? But sometimes, despite our good intentions, these updates lose something in the translation. Many traditional folktales speak to the ugly truth of women's experiences under patriarchy. And that is our topic for today. Now, I remember wanting to start this because you wrote some tweets that did some numbers about that. What made you want to write those tweets? It's one of those things that I'm constantly thinking about. I don't remember the exact thing that sparked the tweet. I'd pro- I think I'd seen just someone posting about their girl boss retelling of some story that really didn't need a girl boss retelling. And uh, I, it's just such a common trend that really bothers me because it just ignores what makes a lot of the stories interesting to begin with, or it ignores the core of what's already there in the story and just replaces it with this sort of generic girl hero narrative instead of looking at what the actual story has to say about existing as a woman. And kind of teasing out a story along those lines. And I just feel like if you're going to use the, I guess, aesthetic signifiers of a folk story, if you're going to do that, you should probably also have something to do with its thematics as well. Like, you know, hopefully something beyond just a, what if this but woke? Um, Right, right. It doesn't really say a whole lot. Like, I, I think it was... Was it in the episode that you and June did about queerness as a fandom talking about how a lot of contemporary fantasy stories that have, they have a diverse character, but the experience is so separated from what it actually means to be diverse in the real world that it it doesn't actually feel any different than this riff on Tolkien number whatever billion. It just, the hero isn't a white dude. Right. And I feel like a lot of the, the kind of, scare quotes feminist fairy tale retellings kind of do the same thing is they will take the signifiers of this fairy tale character your glass slippers your red riding hood whatever they'll take those kind of superficial trappings and just paste it onto a generic fantasy hero narrative or maybe just 
try and subvert just a little bit here and there, but they don't really have anything to say about the original point of the story. I think actually the example like you brought up the that Snow White with Kristen Stewart that came out a while ago, and it it really is just that. It's a very standard fantasy narrative. It really has very little to do with the actual like themes or morals or ideas of any original like the older Snow White stories and just copies some of the, the the evil queen and the the fairest of them all and just puts that in a generic fantasy action narrative and it it doesn't need to be Snow White. There's nothing about that movie where it has to be Snow White. Right. Really. But it'll sell better if it says Snow White. Right. If it's Snow White, but badass, that'll sell better than here's a story about a girl. Yeah, there's another issue with it too, which is a lot of the times the criticisms and complaints about these fairy tales seem to be based on, sorry, that thumping is my cats chasing each other around. (laughs) It seems to be based on taking these stories literally as prescriptive action ideas of what we should do in the real world. Like, yes, obviously you shouldn't marry a guy. Wow, cats. Jeez. <laughs> it wouldn't be right good without a kitty interruption. Right. God, they're really going crazy right now. Jesus Christ. No, cats. Oh, my Jesus. goodness. Fuck. Oh, no. They do this sometimes. It's terrible. Okay, I'm going to pretend that's not happening. But a lot of these criticisms come from... <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> okay, they're going to calm down. Sometimes they yell. Sometimes they yell. Okay. <sighs> Guys, what? I. <laughs> okay. Good. This is good. This is good podcasting. This is very good. This is great content right here. But you know, we'd all unsubscribe <laughs> if the cat diversions were just removed. <laughs> you know, oh, we yeah. like them. Yeah, pretty much. Oh, okay. Let, let, let's hope that's quieting down now um so a lot of the complaints come from these ideas that we're supposed to take these stories literally like obviously you shouldn't marry a guy you meet at a party one time that's not a good choice but they're fairy tales we we accept that this isn't meant to be realistic like yeah i know it's you know my my foot fits into this shoe is not a really good idea to of a reason why to spend your whole life with a guy but like it's not real we're dealing with symbols and archetypes and things like that so yeah they're all um, (laughs) they're metaphors mostly fairy tales they're metaphors so when you take them very literally and you respond to this this very literal literal interpretation of this story you're not actually responding to what the story's about most of the time and yeah it just doesn't it doesn't work as well as it could like it's it's a very surface reading where fairy tales have a lot more kind of just under the surface. And that's where all the really interesting and really primal stuff, it's all under the surface. So if you're just going at this literal baseline for your interpretation, you're not really going to get anything fruitful or interesting out of it most of the time. Right. It, and, and it's just a really depressingly shallow interpretation of of a, a really important and vital form of culture. And it's really depressing, I think, to just take the flattest possible view of these stories that have been passed on generation to generation for centuries. It, don't, don't do that. Come on. 
It's like looking, I don't know, it's like looking at a Salvador Dali painting and being like, these clocks suck. I can't tell time on that shit. I hate this painting. Like, don't. And then you're repainting it is, these clocks suck. I don't like them. I'm going to paint this picture, but all the clocks are like normal. Yeah, They're correct. They're realistic. I, I can tell time on these. This is a better painting now. This is good. It's correct. It's accurate. Fuck. And that's what a lot of these feel like, an overcorrection. <laughs> right. Right. Uh, there's another issue, too, is that a lot of the times we're taking literal interpretations, and very often what I've found is that a lot of these tough, badass girl boss retellings are responding to specifically the Disney version of the fairy tale, but not a whole lot of, like, girl boss, the juniper tree, or the robber bridegroom, or Rumpelstiltskin, or Hans my Hedgehog, or the really weird ones that Disney hasn't adapted. I I haven't seen a girl boss, the girl without hands or anything. No. And you know what? The girl without hands would actually be an interesting one to do something with. Oh, yeah. Um, So would robber bridegroom and Bluebeard. Honestly, a lot of them would be. I think a lot of it is, and this is the cynical part of me, a lot of the people who are writing these aren't actually especially familiar with any fairy tales that Disney hasn't gotten to either because they, and I think some of it's too, a lot of people's first exposure to any given fairy tale is the Disney version. If there is a Disney version of it. And that's not necessarily something that, you know, you, you can't blame someone because when they were four years old, they saw the Disney Little Mermaid and they didn't read the Hans Christian Andersen one until years later. You can't blame somebody for that right. or for being more, more inclined to look for the source material for a story that they saw in a Disney movie they really liked when they were a kid first. I don't think there's anything wrong with that, but I also think that it is coming from a place of People who maybe actually don't really like folktales and fairy tales that much. They just like the Disney movies, which again, not necessarily a bad thing, but a lot of the times means you end up reinventing the wheel, like (laughs) in trying to make a darker Cinderella when you've only seen Disney's Cinderella. You make a Cinderella that's darker, but then you don't get even as dark as the older version where the stepsisters are cutting off parts of their feet to fit into the shoe or where they get like their eyes plucked out by birds for for being shitty and all of that. You So it's <laughs> if you actually knew that fairy tale, you'd know that your dark subversion wasn't actually subverting anything that there's there's nothing to it that's more that's more fucked up than what was already in the older fairy tale. It's just more fucked up than the Disney version, which to be fair, not hard to do. Right. Absolutely. The traditional folklore is, is very different. It's richer, it's weirder. And sometimes it often has more assertive and courageous female characters than the Disney stories anyway. Like a lot of Bluebeard stories, the girl in Bluebeard is really resourceful and tough. She kills her husband. She's yeah, badass. And- she is. And I'm glad you mentioned the Robber Bridegroom, too, because the Robber Bridegroom and, and Bluebeard are actually two of my favorite fairy tales. And the girl in the Robber Bridegroom kind of kicks ass, too. Right. Um, she calls him out publicly. Yeah, she's she very clever. Him. She's she, very she's, good. She's extremely clever. And I think that's the thing. I think this is another reason you don't always see responses to these fairy tales is a lot of the time the badass women in a traditional fairy tale, they're badass in the sense of being clever or being resourceful of being or of being kind to the right people that will help them out later. And those 
aren't qualities that are necessarily easy to make like a cool action-packed adventure out of. They're also um, they're also traditionally fem- more feminine qualities than they are masculine qualities. So I do think there's something to be said about how I don't like to be like gender essentialist at all because you know any any set of personality or character traits you can think of. There's a guy that has it. There's a girl that has it. There's a non-binary person that has it. Whatever, but these traits that are seen as traditionally being more masculine are what often get put onto these these girl boss fairy tale heroines as if you can't be worth talking about in a story unless you pick up a sword like why does right. snow white need to, why does snow white need armor to do what she does like she doesn't and the charm of and to me the charm of a lot of these fairy tale stories is they show they show women navigating the world in a way that is accessible to them and making the best of what the cultural assumptions about womanhood, making the best of qualities that are not physical or martial strengths. And I think that's actually really cool because that's that's what people, what women have done for thousands of years is, yeah, sure, I, I'm little and I can't swing a sword as well as the big knight over there, but I'm smart and I can use my wits to get what I need or to help people or to help myself. Right, right. That's, oh God, that's, I'm so glad you said that. A lot of the time, the, these reinterpretations frame female characters in these original fairy tales as being very passive and helpless. And I, I don't think that's the case. They have limited agency, but a lot of the time they are taking an active role within the ability of a girl in that society to do. And it, it, I find it a little saddening that we can only define strength in terms of of the masculine, stereotypically masculine type of strength, which is your ability to inflict violence upon others. That's how we're defining strength in a very, very narrow way. Well, isn't the woman in Bluebeard strong? She, She doesn't beat the guy up, but she figures out how to outwit him. And the girl in the robber bridegroom, she maybe she's not exactly strong but she's really really smart and she figures out exactly the right way to to call this guy out and get him caught and and get him punished for all the bad stuff he's done and 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 just dismissing all of that is like no they're not they're not badass enough it's kind of insulting i think it's kind of like you know have you picked up a sword? Probably not. I haven't. Well, I know you, Maddie, have picked up a sword, but I, I, I have. Uh, you have I studied to, the blade. I have studied the blade. I, I fenced <laughs> for a couple of years, and I have used a sword for dancing. But <laughs> yeah, uh, just because I, I know how to hold an epee doesn't mean I'm actually like martially competent. Right. But I like to think I have qualities that are worthwhile or valuable that uh, that don't involve me being able to to physically beat someone up right and 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 again like you said at the risk of sounding gender essentialist sometimes these stories do celebrate a particularly feminine kind of strength not necessarily i'm not saying it's like genetically or whatever feminine but these are the kind of strengths associated with these traditional feminine roles and it is kind of nice to see a story in which oh, that's what wins the day. It's being clever and being good at talking to people and being good at under- being empathetic and, and intuitive. That's what saves you. Like, yeah, that's cool. That's nice. I like that. 
something I'm going to notice too, back to the topic of Disney. I, I'm obviously not personally against all modern fairy tales. I've done a couple of modern riffs on fairy tales in my own work, but I've noticed that feminist-ish retellings that riff on the original folklore are way more interesting. Uh, like that crazy Polish movie, The Lure. It's loosely a riff on on The Little Mermaid, but it's very clearly drawing from Hans Christian Andersen's and not the Disney version. And it's just fucking bananas. It's this brilliant, weird horror synth pop romance musical from Poland about a pair of mermaid sisters that are exploited as cabaret singers. And it's just fucking wild. I actually, I haven't seen it, but I own it on <gasps> Blu-ray. I need to watch it. You need to watch it. I bought it. I bought it during the uh, the last la- round of the uh, twice yearly Barnes and Noble Criterion Collection sale. Hell yeah, the lure is so good. I it is it is so out there. It is pure bananas, and it that it is very feminist, and that it's about. I mean, it's about womanhood and the way that young women and young girls and their sexuality can be like exploited and, and mistreated. But it's to call them girl bosses, I, I no, no, not not mm. so, not so much. It's it's just fucking awesome. I highly recommended watching the lure. Oh. But anyway, back to the idea of feminine strength versus masculine strength. Something to note, which I think is worth bringing up, is that a lot of these fairy tales do address the reality, which is that for for pretty much all of human civilization, women have had extremely limited agency. I'm sorry. I'm, yeah. I'm Sorry, if you asserted yourself, you got burned at the stake for witchcraft or in in more recent years committed to a mental institution. That's what fucking happened. Yeah, and it's 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 a bummer for sure. But if you don't talk about it, it never is going to get any better. And it's 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 worth actually digging into that, I think. Yeah. And that's where I, I do tend to see fairy tale retellings that I think are more interesting is not so much where they look at i think a lot of the problem comes from there are two working definitions of what feminist means right and um they can sometimes be almost at cross purposes so you have the critical theory version where it's this is something that examines uh how women get on in the world how women are treated how women treat each other, women's relationships with each other, with society as a whole. And that's not always like a yay girl power sort of thing. It doesn't always, it's not always a feel good story. Right. Um, it's just looking at something and examining it, maybe making a point about it, but it's not always a feel good story. And in fact, sometimes they're very much feel bad stories. Very often um, they're feel bad stories. <laughs> and then there are the, uh, there's kind of the pop culture feminist, which is, this is something that is, at the risk of sounding a little bit flip, something that makes girls and women feel good about themselves. Right. So something where a girl is cool or a girl is badass, but that's not really always, you know, it doesn't actually often have anything to do with any real like social or material reality at all. And it might feel nice. And it's it's not that I think that it's bad to have stories about women who um, are empowered or you could look up to if you were a young woman. Right. Uh, I think that's actually good to have, but it's not the be all and end all of a feminist retelling or a feminist story. That's just one kind 
And uh, I do find every now and again, these stories that like try to be like feminist girl power stories kind of just like end up making anyone who doesn't fit the mold feel kind of bad. There's something a little like bootstrappy about it. Like, oh, here's a Kira Knightley character who's super tough in the old days and she won't wear a corset and she just sticks up for herself. How come women in the real world didn't do that? Mm-hmm. How come re- women in the real whatever it was 18th century didn't say fuck this i'm gonna pull my corset off and be a pirate like why didn't you just say no thanks to sexism like they must have just been very weak maybe they deserved it you know yeah like pull yourself up by your bootstraps and single-handedly defeat the patriarchy like yeah no that's hard i can't do that the corset as uh shorthand for sexism yeah is like one of my it's one of my biggest historical narrative pet peeves because it shows uh a gross under misunderstanding of how those garments actually function right something i'm going to point out too is that when we ended the era of corsets we immediately hit the 1920s and started the era of ultra thinness so it's like you're free to not eat anything. Go go be hungry. Yeah, oh, it's how is this better? It's like, you can at least okay. take a corset off at night. You can't you, to be to get that 1920s flapper girl look, which supposedly was like liberation. You have to fucking eat nothing all the time and just like yeah, smoke nonstop to kill hunger smoke, pangs. How is that liberation? And like the the. Uh, support garments that you a lot of flappers would wear were pretty much just as restrictive as corsets. The silhouette was just different. Yeah. But it's not really all that different. And now it's just like, okay, cool. We don't wear like this kind of shapewear as much anymore. We just all have to like- We're expected to look like yeah, that anyway. Expected just to just without look the like that. <laughs> yeah. Tiny waist, big tits, big ass, but you know, not too big. Yeah, like yay, free. I, I, I guess, but I don't know about you, but I think I would rather squeeze into a corset than be expected to live on like a thousand calories a day. Yeah, I like bread. I'd rather corset. I love bread. Bread is so (laughs) fucking good. Bread is if yeah. If you give me the choice of like wear a corset or give up bread, I'm I'm not. I'm oh for sure. Eat bread in my corset. I'm gonna eat bread. But yeah, that's just like a tangent. It's it's the most. uh, (laughs) It's somewhat related because it's just the most played out shorthand for women's oppression. When it's like, man, I mean, thank God that the pandemic has made dressing like a slob sort of more acceptable, just (laughs) on the regular. But. I don't know. I've worn corsets and I've worn high heels. And I can tell you, I will wear a corset for eight hours before I will wear high heels for eight hours. Mm, yeah. Yeah. But but anyway, women in the past had limited agency and have always had our choices and abilities limited by society. And to me, it's a little more truthful and feminist to show a brilliant, capable woman who has to work within these shitty limitations, who who is strong and capable, but unfortunately has to deal with the realities of being a woman because that, that's incredibly compelling to me. And that's something that every single smart, capable, intelligent woman in the real world has always had to deal with. And, and something I'm going to point out, yes, there have been powerful women in the past. There have been powerful, powerful, influential women. These women did have institutional or structural power behind them. 
And in a horrible patriarchy, it's a lot harder for a woman to get this. But we have this, the girl boss ideas. It's this hyper-individualistic view of power and strength, and it's very faulty and it ignores the social structures behind things. Like, oh, Queen Elizabeth I was really powerful. Yeah, she was, she was royalty. She was royalty. Mm -hmm. A peasant girl couldn't do that. Like, well, there was Joan, Joan of Arc. Okay, but how, how did Joan of Arc's life end? Not good. Right. I, I, I really do think that this hyper-individualistic view of power might be set up by patriarchy to deliberately erase the structures that make men powerful because that makes it look like men are just inherently magically better at being natural leaders and not instead put in the position of power they are by this massive structure. Right. And I think, too, it kind of goes in with the uh, almost a great man theory of history where we see if a woman makes some great accomplishment, somehow this is a success and a victory for all women. And it's it's not like even <laughs> rare cases where it's not a queen or someone who was born into power, even with someone like I'm thinking like with a Ching Shi, the, the really, really like actually insanely badass Chinese pirate right. um, who started out working in a brothel and a pirate captain liked her and married her and then she ended up taking over his fleet and just going completely like oh she was a pirate queen absolutely pirate queen, like an actual honest to god pirate queen who was very powerful and very successful and she actually didn't get joan of arc at the end they made a deal with her like hey you know we'll let you live and let you have your casino and brothel and live out your retirement and all of this, just stop har harassing our ships. And she's like, okay, cool. Yeah, let's take that. Um, yep. And that rocks. That's awesome. It's a great story, but uh, it made not a lick of difference to every other woman in China. Right, right, right. And I'm going to point out that a lot of the time in real life, women who make it to the top in a patriarchal society they make it to the top by not disrupting that that patriarchal structure too much. And a, a lot of times, even more so, they make it to the top by being kind of shit to other women. I mean, the Margaret Thatcher's Thatcher. Of the yep. world. Yeah, that was not a victory for womankind. If anything, it was the opposite. She was absolutely horrendous to working class women, to immigrant women. She was not kind to them. I, I feel like maybe the MLM industry could be an example of that. A lot of the CEOs of these companies, like a Lula Rose CD, CEO, I believe is a woman. A lot of them. It with mm -hmm. her family. But, but the whole business structure is based on basically bilking women, bilking housewives, bilking women who are looking for a side gig because their main job isn't paying enough money. And just kind of screwing them over and then, then getting them to try to bilk other women. It's this really fucked up system that preys upon women's insecurities and desperation. But but there's a woman at the top. So it's, is that feminism? I, I don't and you know, think so. A lot of those will actually, <laughs> a lot of those two will actually, like, they'll make that a selling point if, if oh, that yeah. it's a girl boss and feminist thing. I've actually been to like a Mary Kay meeting before. Just, I got kind of roped into it. And so much of their verbiage was like, be your own boss, support your own family, make tons of money, but do your own hours. And like all of these things that are going to sound really, really appealing to a stay at home mom who doesn't have a whole lot better to do or not better to do, but doesn't have a whole lot more to do or her kids are in school. Mm -hmm. She doesn't have much to do other than take care of the house and do the errands and maybe wants to make a little extra money. Like it's going to be really appealing to someone like that. 
And these are often people who are sort of financially very vulnerable anyway. There's nothing wrong with being a stay-at-home wife or a stay-at-home mother. And in fact, for many people, I recognize that is kind of the ideal. I would love to be a stay-at-home wife and just take care of my house and do my errands and do my do my chores and all of in my, my artwork and all of that. But um, I also am lucky because my husband is good and awesome. Not every woman has a husband who is good and awesome, who's a stay-at-home mom or a stay-at-home wife. And that not having the access to the finances, being told, oh yeah, you can sell some leggings and makeup and you can make some money. And, and that's going to be attractive for that type of person, but it's going to probably put her more into debt. It'll be stressful. It can take a lot of a toll. You hear some absolute horror stories from women who used to work for all these MLMs and oh, they it frame it horrible. like it's, they frame it like it's empowering and it's, maybe it is for the, the absolute very top sellers who are the most predatory and like human shark type people in the world, but it's not for the average person. Most of the people right. who try and sign up, they're not going to, they, they might break even, but they're not going to make a profit. It's not going to, not going to lift them out of a bad situation. It's probably just going to make things worse, but that's not how they frame it. They frame it like this is empowerment. Right. This is and taking your life yeah. into your own hands and, and making something of yourself. And it's just not for the majority of people. Right. And I'm going to point out that a lot of the times the thing they're selling is something that's, I, I'm not going to say that selling beauty products is anti-feminist, you know, whatever, it's fine, wear makeup, it's cool. But a lot of the time, these are things that are kind of policing the kind of gender expression, like sort of, oh, you're, you're, a, you're, you're a woman, so you're going to be in a business that is selling cosmetics, some kind of diet thing. There's a heck of a whole lot of these MLMs are like diet, whatever mm -hmm. bullshit, um, modest leggings, like these things that are very much about policing the bounds of what it means to be a woman and, and deciding what kind of woman you're supposed to be and allowed to be, which is a little, there's this sort of questionable side to it. And again, I'm not trying to like knock anyone who sells, you know, Avon or whatever, like I, I wear makeup, it's cool, but it's notable that these are very, the products themselves too are very traditionally feminine in, in this particular way. Yeah. The, the guys are starting to break in. You see some sort of like protein supplements and like muscle supplements too, but it's the, that kind of marketing is so much, it's so, so, so much targeted towards women. Honestly, I think most guys think it's embarrassing Right. I don't really see many men being like, yeah, I totally want to hawk supplements. Well, then it's like you got to get your friends together and, and hawk this stuff to them. Like how many men, are, how many straight guys are going to be able to do that? Just like, how, do, how many friends do I have? I don't even know. <laughs> They're not going to want to. And you know what? Dudes <laughs> rock for that. Stay yeah, good they. for them. <laughs> I, I got to say dudes win this particular, this particular game. I, I concede. Could I interest you, a strong, independent man in a business opportunity? Like, what? Bro. No, no I have a can, job man. already. <laughs> no, 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 you fucking can't, dude. What are you talking about? <laughs> I love, side note, how, like, every woman has the exact same voice she uses when she's, like, mimicking a guy. Like, <laughs> yeah. oh, you're, you're, no, I don't. Yeah, it, it always sounds like voice. a dumb guy, too. It never sounds like a smart guy. Oh, hi, kitty. Oh, oh, is there another cat own. interruption? Nice. Yeah, she just jumped up on my desk. Oh, good. Yes. It's a cat full episode. This is good. Did you hear Arlie screaming earlier? 
Harley, Harley was that is his scream of triumph. I know it sounds like he's wailing in despair, but that is the sound he makes when he's happy. Making that is that is a happy noise. sound. That is a happy sound for Harley. He's <laughs> he's 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 very dramatic. He's a dramatic boy. But back to the topic of limited feminine agency, even in contemporary society, which is a lot better than things were, I, I think, for women back in ye olden days, we still have oh, our even choices. Even better than like 50 years ago. Yeah. We still have our choices and abilities limited by society. And for me, it's more truthful and feminist and honest to me to show a brilliant, capable woman who has to work within these shitty limitations. Ironically, the girl boss modernized escapist versions somehow feel less real to me like i can buy them believe in them less than i believe in in ancient folktale with wizards and shit in it yeah i would say generally that's the case and yeah. it's not like every feminist story has to be a catalog Depressing of the miseries and, that yeah. women have suffered you can have a story that's uplifting that feels good but you know, at some on some level, I, I think you're best if you do acknowledge the reality that it, it can be hard, especially if you're still using a historical period. A lot of things are very, very hard. And I think there's a tendency to ignore the the material reality that most women lived in historically. And it's not just fairy tale retellings. Fantasy stories do this. Mm -hmm. The uh, the lesser class of historical fiction often does this. Yeah. And it's like, man, it's just something I liked about Tamora Pierce's books, which they were their YA that I was really into when I was younger, is like Oh yeah, I read her some female of those. Yeah, fun. her female heroines actually have to deal with periods. Yeah. They actually they get their periods and they have to deal with it when they're like on the road and shit. And it and it's an actual concern. Like, whoa. That I don't think I've seen that much in, in most fantasy. No no one's ever on the rag. <laughs> yeah, it's something that's like, and again, I don't want to get gender essentialist here, but if we're talking cis women, AFAB people in general, like there are just physical realities of having a uterus that have actually shaped how people with uteruses have been viewed throughout so much of history and like things that you had to deal with before contraceptives were readily available and um you used to you have know, to go to a hut on the outskirts of the village and shit yeah and it's kind of something where i'm like i don't need every story to deal with this but sometimes just a nod to like yeah this is this is how it be if you're an afab person just a nod to that every now and again it makes things feel a little bit a little bit richer and more real right right absolutely and there's another side to it, too, that a lot of these times, a lot of the time, these criticisms feel that having any female character behave in a negative way is, Harley, stop it, is misogynistic. But 
I'm going to say that living under patriarchy often fucks you up in some unpleasant ways. Women's real lives under patriarchy aren't ideal, and we, of we often don't stick to healthy aspirational feminist standards and behaviors ourselves. Like, right. smart, capable women end up with really shitty men sometimes. Smart, capable women develop eating disorders um, sometimes really capable women will be extremely shitty to other women because, hey, you're taught from birth to dislike women and that gets in your head and you get internalized misogyny and you act it out. And it sucks, but that's the world is fucked up. That's that's real. It would be bizarre to me to have a story where, oh, women are only good. Like, what the right. what? And what the some some women just are they're bad people, regardless yeah. of the situation they were in, even in an, a totally equal society. They're just not, they just wouldn't be very good people. And something that bothers me about a lot of purported feminist stories, feminist retellings, is they only portray women as just like unambiguously good. Every choice they make right. is good. Every motive they have is pure. And that is like, it's, it's the, Victorian. The, the, Right. It's very angel in the house, but woke. And the the idea that women can only ever be good, like their natural state is perfectly good. It's just pedestaling. And that's just as bad as denigrating on someone's psyche when it's like, if you're a girl and you see these stories and all of these women are, they're good and they're healthy and they, they're always great to their friends. They're supportive and they make good choices. And you're like, Oh, well, I sometimes get in fights with my friends and I don't always feel good about my body or how I look. And, right. you know, I, I sometimes make bad choices. It's like, oh man, sometimes, sometimes you just need to see someone who sucks in the same way that you do, but isn't like a bad person. Right, right. Or, or weakness. Something that bugs me a lot about some of the complaints is, oh, this woman, she's, she's so weak. She doesn't defeat the, or escape the blah, blah, blah. Like, okay, do you want to... Do we need to pull out Victim crime blaming? statistics? Do, do, do you need, there's a reason most domestic violence victims are reluctant to leave because it's really hard. There's a reason most or many women don't openly speak out about sexual harassment in your professional life. And that's because you're probably not going to win that fight and it's going to make your working life worse. And you'll probably have to switch jobs or something if, if you speak up. It, there is, hey, how how many sexual assault victims kill their rapist? Um, not not many, very few. Because if you do that, you go to jail, and going to jail is is bad. Bad. You don't want to you don't want to go there. So there's this really fucked up idea to me in in a lot of the criticism of these stories of like, how come this woman didn't get even? She sucks. Like, look at the real world. There's a, most of us don't get even. And there's a reason for it is because getting, trying to get even will ruin your fucking life. Yeah. It's like, it's like, okay, cool. My life already took a big hit. Uh, I'm going to go and make it a lot worse. Yeah. That's, that sounds like a great idea. I'm not gonna go and try and put it behind me and try and heal and move on. No, I'm going to go and, uh, gonna, gonna torch a motherfucker. And it's, it's like, yeah. you're not going to, you might want to, you might think about it, but yeah, it's just not realistic for most people. And honestly, I don't always think that's healthy depending yeah. on obviously the severity of how wrong you were. Like sometimes you just, 
try and get your justice and then move on, but you don't have to seek like kill bill vengeance. Or most of the time you won't get justice. Most of the yeah. time you will not get justice and you have to find some way to live with that. And that sucks ass. It fucking sucks. But that is the reality for most of us. And this idea that if if that's your reality, you weren't strong enough, you were too passive, you're a victim. What does that say? Yeah, I think a lot of the cry for all women should be badass is just like, but mm. they're not. Most people aren't of any gender. Most people are not badass. You're not the Terminator. And that's that's fine. That's how life has always been and how it probably will always be. That's but how I you think survive. When you, when you actually try to do badass shit in the real world, you go to jail. Or, or die. Or you get shot. <laughs> yeah. Most um, of the time. Most people are not equipped to do the cool badass stuff that Uma Thurman does in Kill Bill. Most people aren't equipped to do that. And, and again, the reality of being a woman under patriarchy is if you actually do defend yourself physically against an abusive husband, there's a very good chance that uh, you're going to be sentenced and not win a self-defense trial. There's a very, yeah. very good chance that y your plea of self-defense will not be accepted by a jury. It It's horrible, but... That's the reality we live under. <laughs> yeah, it's a big bummer, but that's that's kind of why the girl boss stuff rings so false. It doesn't address any any real world that anyone lives in. And and of course, I know you could say, well, it's like, well, well, Maddie, it's a fairy tale. What do you mean addressing real things? But the fact of the matter is, if you go back to folklore, they're all addressing things that are real and things that are true and things that people have to deal with, even if they do it in a metaphorical way. Like, right. you know, the wolf and the big little red riding hood, it's not a wolf. <laughs> like, Yeah, it's so clearly. Here's this big, hairy, ravenous male figure ask, who wants to follow you when you're on an errand. Like, gee, what does that symbolize? I don't know. For a young adolescent girl wearing a red hood, hmm, hmm. what does that mean? Like, okay, <laughs> you're gonna say that doesn't speak to the experiences of a of a woman? Yeah, I mean, just like I think I started getting catcalled when I was like twelve. Oh yeah, and yep. that's that's like most women I know. That's about the age where you start getting catcalled. Um, if not before that for some people, but it's like, yeah, once you're like kind of starting to, to be pubescent, uh, you are going to get catcalled and creeped on, followed creeped on. You just, it's so yeah. Red Riding Hood, like the wolf is a wolf, but the wolf is also predatory older people who might bother children or young, young women and be dangerous and yeah, that's, that's so. A you gotta not tell him where you live, right? You gotta, you gotta fucking you... avoid that guy. Don't trust that yeah. guy. He's bad news. <laughs> yeah, that that is that is a very reasonable tale to tell a girl. That that is unfortunately a thing you're gonna have to fucking deal with in your life. Or even something like Beauty and the Beast, which people tend to read in very stupid ways. There's versions of Beauty and the Beast practically anywhere you look, but. For a lot of women, the reality was, especially if you're an upper class woman, which another thing too is women of different classes had different struggles. And an upper class woman, probably one of her big ones would be that you don't get to choose who you marry. So you could marry someone you're like totally not attracted to at all. 
uggo guy who's politically convenient. But this story, it's kind of, it's not, I think people interpret it as a Stockholm syndrome sort of thing, or like a put up with your guy, no matter how shitty he is. But I think more to it, it's encouraging young women and girls who live in a society where they may not be attracted to the person that they marry to, to try and look for the qualities that aren't skin deep that he might have that might be good. And even though that's not necessarily something that most women have to deal with today, especially if you're an American woman, you're, you're marrying the guy you want to marry if you want to get married and you know him and you're probably attracted to him, hopefully. But the historical context of that was this is a story that's going to be told to girls who don't have that much choice. And it is a lesson that they are going to have to learn. You have to find a way to put up with it. So trying to find something that's good in the guy you may not be immediately attracted to, that is an important lesson. That's something you're going to have to deal with and navigate. Uh, I actually, Beauty and the Beast, I swear to God, has like the most dog brain feminist interpretations of any fairy tale. Right. I mean, divorced from that context, I think, I feel like you could make a case for an adolescent girl coming to terms with the notion of sexuality in general. Like, here's this thing that you think is super, super gross. It's this weird, hairy beast thing. But yeah, then you go there's... like, oh, wait, actually, this rules. I love this thing. This thing is That's great. That's uh... Literally The Tiger's Bride by Angela Carter, <laughs> which is uh, the the best. You do have to have a tolerance for very Baroque language because that's just her style. So if you're not as into the uh, flowery and ornate language, you might not like it as much. But if you... But if that is can, your thing, then you're going to fucking love this you shit. You will fucking love this story because it is. it does take this idea. And, and honestly... A lot of women who are attracted to men do frequently have sort of a revulsion attraction thing that keeps pushing and pulling throughout your life almost. Yeah. And it's, it just is what it is. And Beauty and the Beast, you can easily make it a story about that and how Absolutely. that can be something you learn to navigate. That can be something you discover actually you are as gross and primal as the guy. And that's great. And it rocks. Right. And that's right. the tiger's bride. Nice. Yeah. I, I mean, there are, there are other ways to interpret these things, even if it's not the way that was intended, but just making a bland, no, oh, it's Stockholm Syndrome. Like That's the most boring way, again, based on this really shallow, literal interpretation. Or And, and I think yeah. there are like kind of feminist, val maybe not feminist, but humanistic values for a lot of these traditional fairy tales. Like, okay, yeah, Cinderella is not this super powerful badass, but... This is a girl whose mother died when she was little. In some versions of the tale, her father dies too. And she's just raised by a stepmother who's horrifically abusive. And her stepsisters are horribly abusive. For a person with that kind of childhood trauma, being raised in an abusive home where you're treated like shit, learning how to value yourself and see yourself as beautiful and accept love in your life and accept the idea that you deserve to be loved... That's a victory. That's a huge fucking victory. And I think that's something too that a lot of people can relate to, unfortunately, is is having these parental figures or, or siblings or even peers who just don't treat them well. And it, it can lead you to have a really bad self-image. And for someone who has that kind of background to find a way to see that yeah, I actually do have worth and I do have value and someone can love me like that. 
that is a huge victory. So many people struggle with that. And that's so much more valuable of a lesson than what if Cinderella wanted to be a CEO <laughs> in a god awful movie nobody wanted? <laughs> with, with what's his face in the rat costume thrusting his crotch at drivers? What the fuck? One of the last things I ever wanted to see so in my life. So disgusting. Just ugh. awful, awful, awful. Or, or, or Snow White. Okay, the stepmom's a huge bitch, but l- let's look at this. Obsession with beauty does fuck you up. Aging beauty queens can be the biggest, nastiest assholes in the world, especially to younger women. Because if your whole life you're judged by this one metric, you're judged based on your beauty because you are a woman and society's shallow. Yeah, when you start getting older and losing your looks, you do go fucking crazy. And you and you do become meaner. A, a lot of the times, older when I was younger, uh, older women who used to be really beautiful were so fucking mean to young oh, women. I, they oh, resented yeah. them so much. I mean, how many how many stories do you hear from real people, real life people, people you know probably, women who their mom used to be really beautiful and now now that they're really beautiful, the mom treats them kind of shitty or like nitpicks their appearance. Yeah, keep, of so just, you're going to get fat if you eat that. You're going to get fat. Like how many women get that from, from their own moms so who have damaging. their own paranoia? I have a cousin who anyone would look at her pretty much and they would think that she is absolutely beautiful, but she has really bad or has had, I don't, I don't know how bad it is anymore, but has had really terrible self-image issues because her mom was constantly making comments about her body and, yeah. and it, it gave her a huge issue about it. And, Anyone else on the outside looking at a picture at her, like, she's a movie star. She's beautiful. So it has nothing to do with even with whether or not you're, I mean, obviously, if you're not what the the narrow view of what conventional beauty is, yeah, I'm sure that it's worse. But even the most Barbie doll beautiful woman you know, if her mom treats her badly about her body and about her looks, she's going to have a problem about it. Where you could have someone who's a lot plainer looking, but has like a mom or an important older female figure in her life who treats her well about it, isn't weird about dieting, isn't weird about clothes, isn't obsessive about beauty about her, already was commenting about what she is or isn't doing right. Normal looking person can have a totally good body image just because of how you're treated. It's not yeah. just, it's not just, there's just so many factors that go into it. And then, I think that's something that's worth t- talking about because it really does affect a lot of people. Right, right. And that's why I still sort of like Snow White. Like, yeah, the stepmom's a huge bitch, but I've I've met her. I've met her. I've I've met her. That woman probably fat shamed me when I was younger. Most of us have met one of those. Oh yeah, for <laughs> the sure. The aging beauty who's just vicious to younger women because she sees her youth and beauty slipping away and that's all she has and and she it's just fucked her up and she's miserable and insecure and taking it out on on others like god yeah, it, we've all known one of those and that, at the same time there's there's some sympathy to be had for that person right. too because you, you wouldn't be this way if you weren't frequently judged by are you beautiful and nothing else right right if you weren't judged by this one thing if you were valued for something that wasn't superficial you probably wouldn't be this this fucking weird but this is the world we live in it's it's superficial and it's extra superficial toward women unfortunately so yeah a lot of women do get like that 
shit that I, I don't think I've met. I've met very few women who have healthy body image. Very, very few. Because, I mean, look around. Yeah, <laughs> I don't have to women, explain why. Right. Usually the women you meet who have really good body image uh, have a combination of factors. They are more or less conventionally attractive. And they had a mother figure who was cool and good about beauty and body things. Normal, not weird, right. didn't make it a huge deal. When was, you find someone They did who not has... have one of those moms who was constantly on a fucked up diet, one right. fad diet to another. They did not have Snackwell's cookies in the home. And if they you had real cookies. Someone who has those two qualities, they even they probably still have something where it's like, yeah, I'd change it if I could. I've learned to accept it, but if I could change it, I would. It might be yeah. like some stupid trivial thing like I wish my ankles were thinner or right. I wish my feet were prettier, but right. like or like eh, I'm getting kind of wrinkly, but I think everyone kind of goes through that. Right. So in it's your 30s you go, "Oh shit, there's another one." Oh, there it is. Yeah, that kind of uh the 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 kind of shock of getting into your late 20s and realizing you don't have a teenager metabolism anymore. Ooh. Uh yeah, that that's a uh, I think I think guys go through that a little bit too, especially if you talk to men who used to be like really, really athletic in high school and college, and then they oh, hit about yeah. 20, and then they're like, I can't live on pizza and Doritos anymore. Right. They, <laughs> I feel they, like they shit They look all up the how many calories are actually in nachos and have an existential crisis. <laughs> yes. And, and you know, it's, even some of these, these girl boss fairy tales, they still really hinge on kind of one of the more problematic aspects of a lot of fairy tales, which is beauty is equated to goodness. Yeah. How often do you see a Cinderella retelling where Cinderella is just normal? She's normal right. looking. Right. Um, and they, all, they all still want to be part of the monarchy, which is a corrupt, evil institution. I mean, if we're going to be like ridiculous and nitpicky, we'll be like, well, why do you right. want to be a queen? The queen... True power is derived from a mandate from the masses. You right. can't just be the fucking queen. Yeah, That's it's... extremely problematic. Why aren't? Yeah, why isn't this a, a democracy? What's going one, on uh, here? Which which problematic aspects of the fairy tales? Yeah, we try to just not think about how. Yeah, there's the monarchy and and this and that and the other, and we just we're fine with that. We're not going to think about it. We're not going to think about how everyone who is good is beautiful and everyone right. who is bad is ugly. We're not going to think about that, but we're going to think about. Can Sleeping Beauty hold a sword and swing it? If you're going to be revisionist, you might as well just go whole hog and right. really, really go for it. But Sleeping Beauty becomes a communist. She awakens to the reality of class warfare. Oh, God. there's actually, there's a book. Um... <laughs> a creepy DSA guy awakens her by kissing her when she's comatose. There is Ew. a book. <laughs> he slides into her DMs. There's a, a book by John Connolly called The Book of Lost Things that has little riffs on a whole bunch of different fairy tales. And they actually do have a Akami Seven Dwarves. And it's funny yeah. for laughs, but it's pretty funny. Like, it's pretty good. That rules. I'm, I'm 100%. You know I, what? The Seven Dwarves would probably be pro-union. They would probably at least have that going for them. They seem to have a strong sense of solidarity and togetherness. Hey, they are a seven-man polycule that has managed to make it work. I salute them for that. <laughs> That is not easy. There's a lot of Excel spreadsheets involved. Oh, for sure. <laughs> so taking it back to it, let's talk a little bit more about developing a more nuanced idea of what it means to be a feminist story, feminist folklore or a feminist fairy tale. Because 
Well, some of the traditional ones I think do have maybe a feministic uh, idea, like, well, Hans Christian Andersen's Little Mermaid. I, I know a lot of the story is about queer longing, but if you're just going literally by the plot, it's this is a woman who gives up her voice and completely changes herself physically to try to get a shallow guy to like her. And it causes her terrible suffering and it doesn't even work. Isn't that a good cautionary story for girls? Don't give up your voice for a man. Don't totally change who you are in the hopes of getting this guy to like you. Right. I think that's a really good message. That's, that's a good thing that you can tease out of The Little Mermaid. And the thing with a lot of the Anderson stories is I feel like there's multiple ways to interpret them. Yeah, well, fairy tales can do that because that's, right. that's why they're so that's compelling. But I think that's that's something you can definitely tease out of that. And that's I think that's one of the things that frustrates me the most about the um, the Disney Little Mermaid is actually maybe my number one most despised film. <laughs> mm-hmm. And uh, Ursula is the true hero. I'm, I'm, she really I'm is. team Ursula. She rocks. Now, Poor Unfortunate Souls is a banger. Good song. Yeah, I will give it song. that credit. Ursula rocks. She's great. But the actual movie itself, it, it kind of ignores that whole idea. And is like, actually, you should change yourself for a guy you don't know anything about. It's going to work out great. And again, that's maybe reading it a little bit too literally. But yeah. I think know, it's okay ing- to read Disney shallow. Reading folklore shallow, I, I don't know. Reading D- Disney shallow, yeah, that's fine. And it's just, you know, of, of all the potential potential ways you could do that story, you take you take kind of the cautionary tale out, you take the the pathos out. The other part of the story is, yeah, she wants the guy, but mermaids don't have human souls and she wants a human soul too. So you take the, the, the poignance of suffering for that human soul, you take the poignance of that idea and you toss that to the side. And it's just not, it's not a very compelling way to take the source material. I'm of the personal opinion where if you're doing doing a reinterpretation or a story that's inspired by a folktale, a fairy tale, a myth, whatever. I think you should be teasing out something that's a little bit on the deeper level and not just taking the, like I said in the, the beginning, like the superficial trappings of this story. Yeah. Uh, there, there are themes that you can look at and using that as the basis, I think is often more interesting and more fruitful than using just the plot as right. the basis for your retelling. And a lot of them just do, literally, they just take the plot. They don't look at anything that's under the surface. Just, here's the stuff that happens, and here's how I'm gonna gonna make this character a girl boss instead. Right, right. And and it does it a disservice, because I do think that... I know, I know the, most of these fairy tales are famous or known because they were written down by men, but keep in mind that the Grimm's brothers were just writing down recording versions of fairy tales that already existed in the world. So the Grimm's brothers didn't write most of these fairy tales. They recorded them as as sort of like a, I don't know, historian. Yeah, like almost. an oral tradition that they uh, Yeah, recording an oral tradition. Yeah. And considering these were told to children, there's a very good chance that these stories came from women, that these sto- yeah. these are stories being told to children. So they were probably being told to children by their moms, by their grandmas, by their aunties. And being passed down through that, so so I really think you're we're doing a disservice to the the moms and grandmas and and big sisters and aunties who probably 
made these stories and developed them and passed them on and added their own variations to them, but massive disservice by saying, no, this is just sex. It's not good enough. Like, fuck you. Right. (laughs) Especially some of these are so, so old. If you can look at something as old as Red Riding Hood and all you can see is the, the very base surface of it, that's rough. Or any fairy tale or folk tale or myth from anywhere around the world. These come from such a primal place. It's meant, you know, you're exploring people's place in the world. You're exploring values. You're exploring virtues. You're exploring all of these things and communicating all these things that are important to living as a human being. And to just look at the very, very most surface things of that and use that as the basis for your retelling rather than the thing that it's actually about or a thing that it's actually about. It's it's, it's shitty. It's shitty. It's bad. It may be occasionally kind of fun, but it's kind of hollow in the end. And I think that's why a lot of people will come back to like you see fairy tale imagery and you see fairy tale retellings just again and again and again and people don't really get tired of these stories and it's because there's so much there yeah Um, they're so compelling and they they say a hell of a lot of nuanced complex stuff in these really very simple ways it's the uh the only form of fiction that is didactic and also good consistently yeah yeah All right. So we've talked for about an hour, probably a a full third of that, which was just my cats yelling. Um, (laughs) Before we go, where can our listeners find and support you? I can be found on Twitter at Devil's Doorbell underscore. If you want to read something of mine that is uh, directly a fairy tale, not a retelling, but it's, it's an original fairy tale. I have a fairy tale called Wolfskin that was in the... Uh, I want to say April 2019 issue of Enchanted Conversation magazine, which is all for full. It's it's all retellings of and original fairy tales. And there's some real gems in there. It's a small magazine, but I do recommend checking them out. I have a podcast that I co-host with my friends Kay and JR. It is called The Pod Hand. It is about Berserk, which is uh, a surprisingly deep and layered text for something that often gets uh, memed about as if it's just like edgelord bullshit. It's not. It's phenomenal. We do a deep dive into into that manga. And if you would like to read any of my writing, I also have a couple stories up on my Gumroad store, which is also at Devil's Doorbell underscore. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you for having me. I was I was glad to talk about this topic because it is a personal bugbear of mine. Right, right. It bugs. Oh, fairy tales. Women aren't strong enough. But the robber's bridegroom is so cool. She's so cool. The way she, oh, the way she does it. Darling, it was only a dream. Let me just tell you about this weird dream I had. I dreamt you were a murderer. Isn't that crazy? Why are you sweating? Oh, brilliant. She's so good. Anyway, (laughs) so that's it for this episode. If you like what you heard, please consider supporting us at patreon.com slash brightgood. Subscribers get bonus content and access to our Discord, where we hold group writing sessions and give each other feedback. Until next time, keep writing good. This has been Write Good with Raquel S. Benedict. Hosted by Raquel S. Benedict and produced by Matt Keeley for KS Media LLC. Theme song by Surgery Head. This has been a Kitty Sneezes production. For comments and concerns, please write to us at writegood at kittysneezes.com. That is R I T E G U D 
at kittysneezes.com. If you'd like to support us, please visit our Patreon at patreon.com slash writegood. Kittysneezes.com in color. <laughs>